0: afternoon. This is a podcast runs through it. I'm Nelson King, here with Dixie Hart. Hey, Dixie.
1: Hey, Nelson.
0: Uh, We are continuing our series of episodes on the state offices and federal state offices of the state of Montana, of course, and uh, looking at the candidates for each of them, giving you some background of each candidate and to the best of our ability, uh, a bit of a profile about each one of them. Um, We have definitely goal here, which is that we want to encourage people to not just vote for the marquee offices like the governor and the senator and the representative, but also for the rest of the slate, the statewide slate, and to become involved with knowing about these candidates and making, you know, intelligent decisions about voting for various candidates. Um, And that we want to stress that people should vote the entire ticket, particularly this time. Offices such as the Attorney General and the State Auditor and are often neglected in terms of people's voting mind, but with this election in particular, it's really important to go and vote for the entire slate. and That will be true for your local candidates as well. Now, we're going to try to provide some content that will help people make an informed vote, but we also need to elect people who want to use government for big, solving big problems. I think that has to be stressed for this election. This is not your usual election. I'm not telling people anything new here. We know that there are major crises underway in the United States, all of which are reflected in Montana. Obviously, the coronavirus crisis, COVID-19, which is kind of the overarching, affects everybody and affects everything else. Uh, Then there's the economy crisis, which in large part is due to the COVID crisis. we are flirting with a major depression as well as just the usual things that happen when you <laughs> about a quarter of your economy slips into the tank. Uh, the third thing would be, of course, the, I guess you could say the racial justice, racial inequality crisis, black lives matter, which of course has taken the country by storm back in a, uh, a couple months ago and is still active. And finally the, uh, I I would call this the post office crisis or the sabotage of the post office, or the sabotage of our elections.
1: Well, Uh, and, and overshadowing all these crises is the potential end of civilization as we know it in the increasingly urgent climate crisis.
0: We have to understand that right now with all of these huge problems that government is not the problem. It is the solution, or at least a big part of the solution. And you want to choose candidates who can do that, who believe in using government as a solution for problems. Unfortunately, it does fall into the, you know, Republican and Democratic, you know, who's who, what, what, what do you believe kind of thing. Uh, And and Dixie, I, I, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but this election does not really allow for neutrality. We would love to stand here and and say, you know, they're good and he's good and they're all fine people, but it doesn't work out that way.
1: Right. Particularly if you look at the gridlock in the U.S. Senate, you can see the urgency for electing people who are willing to go to work to solve problems. People are literally dying right now.
0: Yeah, exactly. it, It is not a time for neutrality about the use of government. If you really believe that the government has no role in de- dealing with the coronavirus, even at the state level, what can I say? Right. So we, we are not taking an, a neutral or nonpartisan position here. We are actually going to be talking about candidates in relationship to our belief that they have to be capable of doing things with the government. And that means we are not neutral here.
2: So right. I want to
0: make that clear at the outset. And with this coming from a very deep feeling, uh, you can speak for it too, I think, Dixie, but this is a time when our democracy and our economy and, in fact, our very life and death depend on using government wisely with people who know how to do this and believing in them being able to make government work for us. What's your phrase you used, uh, Dixie? Dixie. People
1: that know how to use the tools of government to make life better yeah. for for everyone. It's what we're seeing right now more than ever, I think, in this country is um, how people are willing to defy bipartisanship, and it's really harming a lot of people. And I think that, you know, it comes from leadership at the top. I think one of the biggest failures of Donald Trump has been that he does not and he never has seen this country as the united states he's always seen it as red states blue states my states or those other states and and you know we, what we're seeing is what can happen as a result of that is it's it becomes impossible to solve problems and particularly big problems
0: Yeah, the coronavirus is an obvious example, and masks are an obvious case in point. There is no medical debate about the use of masks. There was a little concern or uncertainty back about five months ago, but in the last three or four months, all medical advice is use masks. Unfortunately, it's been turned into a partisan issue. And at least a third of the United States, population of the United States, won't use a mask because they think it's politically uh, a statement not to use masks. So you've turned a medical life and death issue into something that's partisan and political. And that really is wrong. Just wrong. And it will cost people lives. And it will ruin our economy if we don't manage to get these things turned around.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: we are talking very serious business here. And so we feel when we introduce these candidates in their offices, that's the context you have to be thinking of. How will these people address these serious problems? And we're talking about the coronavirus and the economy and the the racism, and uh, you and you could just say we have a general political problem as well, a political crisis, which we are here trying to. I guess, save the union and save democracy. It sounds like incredible. I mean, I can't even imagine myself saying words like that. So all that having been said, I think we'll get on to the the state offices now. The first one we're looking at this afternoon is the attorney general. The attorney general of Montana is a statewide office, of course, it's one of what we call the constitutional positions, and it's of the in part of the executive branch. And it has obviously to do with the law and the way it's enforced here in the state, and that's probably the biggest part of the attorney general's job. But we also like to emphasize that the attorney general is a member of the Montana Land Board. He also has, he or she also has the supervisory authority over the state's 56 county attorneys and is more or less responsible for law enforcement. All the agencies and so forth uh, are in many ways coordinated by the Attorney General. So without going into great detail, it's a very important position. It also has even some national reflection, as attorneys general tend to be um, in favor or against uh, certain issues that are nationwide right now. For example, there are, I believe it's 17 state attorney generals who are fighting the Affordable Care Act which if they win, which means that that law, that piece of legislation goes away. Um, So that's a national issue, which attorneys general in in the states are involved. Here in Montana, we have two main candidates. On the Republican side is Austin Knudsen. And uh, the other candidate from the Democrat side is Rafe Craybill. Both of them have extensive legal experience. Uh, Dixie, why did not you talk about uh, Rafe Graybill for a bit here?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, Rafe is, uh, we'll give you a little of his personal background. He was born and raised in Great Falls. Um, He studied law at Columbia and Yale, and he attended Oxford University as a Rhodes Scholar. And kind of an interesting little side note, while he was... um, attending Columbia, he volunteered as an auxiliary police officer for the New York City Police Department and actually walked a beat for four years. Um, His political background, he started by working for the Obama campaign in 2008 and in 2012 and uh, that's where he met Steve Bullock and in 2017 He was hired by Bullock to be his chief legal counsel, um, a position that he holds currently, and um, then decided to run for attorney general uh, last year and won the Democratic primary against Kimberly Dudek. And I would like to say here um, that... We were, we had done an interview with Rafe. It was episode 17 at a podcast runs through it. So, um, if anyone's interested in hearing more from him, um, I highly recommend that episode. Um, also, Kimberly Dudek, who he beat um, in the primary, was also an, another just excellent candidate for attorney general. And we did an interview with her also. That was episode eight. So, um, I hope that we'll be hearing from her in the future. I'm sure we will be. Here's just a few of Rafe's major accomplishments as uh, Governor Bullock's chief legal counsel. He helped write Bullock's executive order ensuring net neutrality in Montana, which was sort of a template. Other states then followed using that same guideline. he also, after the 2016 elections, with all of the Russian interference, he authored the first in the nation statewide ban on foreign influence in elections. And then he helped get that bill, that bill passed through the legislature. And again, that has also been copied by other states and enacted. He fought a case in the Montana Supreme Court on behalf of on behalf of Governor Bullock against the Montana Attorney General to defend Habitat Montana, which is an important conservation program that helps Montana farmers and ranchers by allowing them to put lands in conservation easements. And this is a real win-win program. It provides needed income to the landowners. It protects the land from development. It provides wildlife habitat, which is critical. And all doing all that while it also creates public access for hunting, hiking, and fishing.
0: Yeah, the Habitat for Montana is 30 years old. Along with our beautiful lands, we need programs like this to maintain them and conserve them.
1: Right, and historically it's been administered by Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. But um, three of the Republican members of the Land Board tried to grab the administration of Habitat Montana out from under fish wildlife and parks and then they would be under the authority of the land board. Thankfully Governor Bullock filed a lawsuit against Attorney General Tim Fox and uh, Rafe Grable argued that and successfully won it and saved Habitat Montana. And he also helped uh, Bullock draft the Trace Act which eventually became the Disclose Act. And he also helped get that through the legislature. And uh, he also represented, he was one of the lawyers that represented uh, Montana in the Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue case that went before the Supreme Court. And uh, sadly, um, they lost that case. Uh, So, you know, he's... uh, He's done a lot of really good work so far. And uh, he also has been deeply involved with the governor's COVID-19 response. And um, to hear more about that, you could listen to episode 21 um, that we did about COVID in Montana.
0: Uh, my impression of him and having you know interviewed him and worked with him here in the studio is that uh, he's a very very sharp guy who is very much aware of the problems in in montana and has dealt with them uh, from his office Um, he uh, is considered one of the the principal advisors to uh, governor bullock and particularly for this coronavirus uh, crisis but um, any other comments or thumbnail of uh, his background
1: when we interviewed him he yeah, had very interesting things to say about his definition of the Montana Attorney General's office. So let's listen to, uh, to what he had to say about it.
2: I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what the Attorney General is and does. Um, the Constitution in our state defines it in really narrow terms. It says it's the, or, or vague terms, not narrow, pretty broad terms. It says the, the Attorney General is the state's chief legal officer. And I think of all the offices um, on the land board, you know, secretary of state, office of construction, auditor, um, this is the office where there is the most discretion afforded to the office holder to make decisions. The you know, secretary of state is an incredibly important office, and the wrong person can screw it up. I think we're seeing that right now. Right. Um, the right person does the job well by just implementing the statutes. AG is different. And I think that the, the framers of our Constitution really saw the attorney general as a structural counterbalance to power. And what I mean by that is the people that wrote our Constitution understood that legislatures can get corrupted. They understood that economic power without enough restraints can corrupt and can take away our choices, our freedom. You mentioned that earlier. Um, The Attorney General, it's that person's job to make sure that these rights and protections that exist on paper come to life and mean something through the legal system. And I think that's a really, really unique, special role about this job. And I think anyone running for this job who doesn't see it that way, who sees it as just another political office, like the legislature, like the governorship, where you just kind of weigh in on whatever you want and you kind of administer this agency. I mean, that's a way to be attorney general. But I think that kind of misses the point of what our framers saw this job doing in the context of government. I think it's an, it, it functions as an inherent check on power. And it's also a way to go out and, and make all these interesting rights we have in our special, you know, we can talk about the Montana Constitution and its sort of unique features, um, to make those rights mean something. You know, in, in 1972, we had these, these 100 citizen delegates who wrote the Constitution in Montana. Right. And they put into that Constitution innovations that um, had never been seen before. in state Const- Things like the right to a clean and healthy environment, the right to privacy, the right to a quality education. And those rights are important. But they just exist on paper, unless someone's willing to go out, and sometimes it means picking a fight in the legal system to make sure those rights mean something. And I think that is what the Attorney General does at, at its best.
1: So I think that sort of gives you an idea of just how sharp and, and, uh, and intelligent and unique his approach is.
0: Yes, I think that the general impression people have of uh, Rafe Grayville is that he's a, an up and coming figure in the state government and uh, because both of because of his background and his legal capability and the fact that he's um, how should I say it probably sharp smart <laughs> <I> <laughs> he's he is, um, he is
1: a very impressive and it's very authentic
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know you get the uh, you you really get an impression when you're talking with him that you know that he's very sincere and authentic very intelligent And is committed to, again, you know, we keep saying this, but it's true. He's committed to solving the problems of everyday people. In fact, he refers to himself as an attorney general. He would be an advocate for the people of Montana.
0: Yeah, and I think that's maybe the best characterization. He is an advocate for the people of Montana, which covers a broad range of issues and things that need to be done. Right. Okay. So with that, let's uh, turn to his uh, opponent in the election, uh, Austin Knudsen. Uh He was born in Culbertson, Montana. That's up in the Northeast corner. And, uh, he's a fifth generation Montanan with an ag background and uh, got a bachelor of science in sociology and a BA in political science from Montana State University, and then also his, um, uh, lawyers, JD from the University of Montana School of Law. He currently lives in Bainville, and his background profession is an attorney. Uh, He's had a a practice up in that area for quite a long time, and then uh, ran for the uh, county attorney office, which he currently holds.
1: And he does have legislative experience. He was elected to four terms in the Montana House of Representatives from 2010 to 2018. And in his last two terms, he was the Speaker of the House.
0: He he lists himself as a private sector uh, lawyer with a background in uh, criminal justice, primarily. Uh, In fact, what he's running on, he says, is basically the law and order candidate, uh, the person who is going to bring back law and order to the state of Montana. And uh, that to him means that he reduces the size of the current uh, Justice Department. And he's been promoting what he says he's been promoting, uh, giving money back to the local law enforcement people, which is not really connected to the Department of Justice, but that uh, you can see where he's coming from. So uh, his background is important to understand because he is one of these candidates whose Advertising and public statements lead you to think that he's just a lawyer looking to be an attorney general. And uh, in reality, he has a very complex and very long uh, agenda, a background of political and other behavior, which you need to understand if you're going to understand his candidacy. He is not just a lawyer running for the attorney general uh, position. He is also a number of other things. Uh, I think that I, if I gave him a shortlist kind of a thumbnail, I would say that he is a Trump Tea Party member of high standing, a fundamentalist and conserv- ultra-conservative religious person, and ultra-conservative in his political beliefs, uh, to the point of being part of the anti-government movement that is prominent in parts of uh, Montana. Well, let me give you a quote here. Uh, His position on helping local law enforcement, he said, quote, what I want to do is redirect a lot of the funding that goes to the attorney general and get it out to where it's actually going to do some good. I mean, you can spend all the money you want at the Department of Justice in Helena, but that's not going to help the Roosevelt County Sheriff's Office get themselves a drug dog. That's his position. And in the context of the attorney general, who in fact is not just for the state of Montana, but participates in national uh, national issues, his position is basically he wants to support local, local uh, law enforcement. But he, in reality, he has associated himself with people who do not like state and federal law enforcement. For example, as I speak, as we record this today, they're holding a, uh, a cookout. And karaoke event in which he is participating in fact he's one of the organizers and he participates with the uh, uh, psc candidate jennifer fielder and state senator candidate teresa manzella now both of these women have long associated themselves with anti-government views and in fact have said openly and publicly that the idea that law enforcement officers are murderers this is the background he comes from, and these are the people he associates with.
1: Right. I mean, those would typically what we would refer to as militia groups.
0: Yes. And he himself has a long-standing association with them. For example, he's appeared at the uh, Montana Militia News Outlet, where he proudly proclaims that it's QAnon and Oath Keepers uh, that he endorses and he has been on the Northwest Liberty News uh, to spread misinformation about masks. This is his actual beliefs, and he will bring that to the office, but as an agenda, not as a stated, you know, these are my goals, and these are the things I'm in favor of. These are the things he will do when he, if he became the attorney general.
1: Right, and, you know, I'd like to point out that another person, a speaker, at this cookout is Christy Jacobson, who is a candidate for secretary of state.
0: Yeah, I think without getting into conspiracy talk, you really do have a group of people who are, um, I should say, of, the, of like mind, uh, being against almost any kind of federal program and being in favor of fundamentalist Christian slash uh, Tea Party sorts of attitudes at, at the local level. Yeah, I think that's fair enough to say that. It's a matter of public record. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it sp- spreads to lots of other things. As many people know, uh, state attorney general, uh, attorneys general, have been very active in some states in opposing the Obam- Obamacare, opposing the Affordable Care Act. And... Austin Knutson has said, I fought Obamacare being in the legislature. I think it's done vastly greater harm to the state of Montana than it's done good. So, obviously, he will not participate in in protecting Affordable Care Act. He will be one of those people who will probably join the the lawsuit against it.
1: Which puts him in the same company as Gianforte and Danes, who have signed on to that brief. And... Matt Rosendale, who says he's going to Washington to get rid of the Affordable Care Act.
0: Now, if you're one, one of the people in the United States who doesn't use the Affordable Care Act or doesn't know anybody who uses it, I suppose you, you shrug your shoulders and say, I don't care. But for those millions, 30 million people who use the Affordable Care Act and for whom it's a lifeline, particularly in, an, in uh, the time of coronavirus, this is an important issue. Let's just briefly. I, I think it's kind of revealing to look at the bills that he has sponsored while he was in the state legislature. Um, some of them are kind of kind of interesting. For example, he provided loans to owners of coal-fired generating units, and he uh, let's see, he wanted to revise the laws related to the boycotts of Israel.
1: Right. He uh, he was tried to get a bill passed that would allow the use of silencers to hunt non-protected wildlife, which I can tell you, most sportsmen do not approve of silencers, in any type of silencers for hunting.
0: Yeah, it's not considered sporting by any any shot, you know, and uh, <laughs> right. uh, he, he's also been in favor of revising oil and gas lease provisions, which uh, was aimed mainly at the use of uh, uh, land uh, resource extraction up in the Bakken area. Um, so you know, in general, he has been pro-development of resources, um, even sponsoring right. legislation for that.
1: Right. Um, he also uh, tried to get a bill passed that would conceal that would allow for concealed carry firearms without permits anywhere in the state.
0: Yeah. So I think the picture is pretty clear. I mean, he's not only extremely conservative, but he has. Um, points of view that that want to deliberately limit the effect of government, which of course they say, but in a way that is designed to help other segments of the population, mainly developers and business people.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, and if you just go through this list of the uh, of the bills that he voted for, it's you know basically um, a long list of resource developments and. Um, all things gun-related, and, well, and he also voted for a bill that would end same-day voter registration. Uh, One of the most interesting ones is that he voted for a bill that would have allowed Montana to nullify any federal law.
0: Yeah. Yeah at that point you offer him the honorable tinfoil hat um well
1: it's it gives it gives you a picture of Mm -hmm. and uh, this this is the man who wants to be the attorney general of our state
0: Mm -hmm. and also to sit on the land board um right his, his public statement is that access is absolutely important and i want to keep up and protect public lands and provide access to you know various kinds of public lands and then at the other side of that um, what he's been doing. Well, Dixie, maybe you can describe that a bit. It's um, the, the the issue with the county park.
1: Oh, yes. Right outside of Culbertson, there's a 34-acre park. Uh, it's called Legion Park, and it was donated for use for veterans returning from World War II. It was donated to the community in 1944, I believe. And Knutson's family bought all of the land surrounding the park, it's on the Missouri River, so they bought all the land surrounding it and removed access to the park. They actually put a gate across the road so that the citizens that had been using the park, which mainly were veterans groups, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, um, no longer had access to the park. And um, the town of Culbertson and The Horace Mann Post 81 of the American Legion filed a lawsuit against the family to gain access to the easement um, so they could get to the park. He filed a countersuit and said that he will not grant an easement, or his family foundation did, they would not grant an easement and they would also require the citizens of Culbertson and the American Legion post to cover all of the legal bills.
0: Yeah. So it, and obviously in a a situation like this is where it gets complicated legally. um, You have to look at the intent and as they say, this doesn't look good. Right. Right. So I think drawing, drawing together the, you know, our overview of him, uh, it's hard not to be too disparaging, but He does clearly represent the Tea Party point of view, the right-wing Trump um, attitude toward government, and in this case, even even law enforcement. And he has been associated with, for quite a long time, some of the most radical and, uh, I guess you could say, dangerous of the points of view about uh, the federal government or just government in general. And this is not really the type of person you want to put in the position of attorney general for the state of Montana. Dixie, how would you describe him?
1: I would say he is a dangerous extremist.
0: Uh, I think maybe one of the best ways to summarize uh, the candidacy of Austin Knudsen is to, to, this is from the um, Montana Post and a posting by the the author um, Don Pagreba. And I think it summarizes this uh, this candidate quite well. He, quote, The Attorney General is the second most powerful position in the state of Montana, and I cannot understate the danger of electing someone like Austin Knutson to fill that role. He's demonstrated in his own county that his tough guy routine only increases crime rates. He willfully associates with mil- militia-affiliated candidates and media outlets that have openly called for insurrection and he has embraced conspiracy theories about COVID-19 that have helped to spread the disease. Close quote.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's an excellent summary from the Montana post. And that was an article I would suggest everyone read that uh, was from the August 13th of 2020. Um, Very interesting and informative.
0: Okay. Uh, Having given you a, basic profile of austin Knudsen and rafe graybill i think that uh, it's pretty clear the differences between these candidates is definitely night and night and day and uh, from a liberal progressive democratic point of view uh there's not much not much to say about uh, uh, Knudsen's point of view um, and Rafe graybill is definitely one of the more qualified and up-and-coming candidates that we have on the entire roster. Anything you want to add to that, Dixie?
1: I think that pretty much sums it up.
0: So let's move on to the governor of the state of Montana and coupled with that, of course, is lieutenant governor.
1: Uh, Before we get started, I'd just like to mention Whitney Williams, who was also a candidate for the governor in Montana. And we were fortunate to do an interview with her. That was episode 19, and I'd, I'd just like to say that she was an excellent candidate, and I'm hoping that we're going to hear from her again in the future.
0: I think we will, because this 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 cycle, it really showed that the Democrats have what they call a deep bench, they have a lot of good people, and uh, it was really heartening to, to listen to them and, and understand that even in the future, the Democrats have candidates that can stand up and take positions. and do a good job. Okay. The two candidates are uh, both well-known in the state because they've been in politics quite a long time or have had a high profile. Mike Cooney is the Democratic candidate. He is the current lieutenant governor of the state of Montana and has been in Montana politics for at least 40 years and comes from a family that was involved in Montana politics. His opponent will be Greg Gianforte, who is the current representative in the house of representatives at the federal level for the state of montana uh, and has been uh, i would say well known if not notorious <laughs> in montana politics <laughs> <laughs> and uh, want to be a little careful in profiling these people because they they as anybody does who has been in politics a little while they have characterizations and certain understandings that go with you know he's a republican and he's a democrat and therefore therefore and then each of them have personal things i think with mike cooney and i'll I'll start with his profile generally speaking uh, he is uh, he was born in 1954 and he was he's a you know been in montana all his life basically uh, has held many many positions in the state of montana Uh, he was in the house of representatives from 1977 to 81 secretary of the state from 89 to 2001. He's been lieutenant governor since 2016. Uh, he was in the Montana Senate from 2007 through 2009. Uh, has run for governor before and has served many other roles. Uh, <laughs> Division of Workforce Service Division at Montana Department of Labor, Montana Historical Society. You get the picture. Uh, I could say that Mike Cooney is sort of the quintessential public servant and when you talk to him if you uh, go to our website we have an interview with uh, Mike Cooney and I think the profile comes off very clearly that he is is and always has been a professional public servant in other words he is his role in life is to serve the public um, through government and various positions like that let's see if I couple of other things about it he is his education is uh, as you would expect from uh, Montana where he was graduate of the University of Montana in Missoula and he comes from a family that has been involved in uh, democratic politics for quite a long time Uh, so his name is pretty well known and I think that you would you know his pitch if you want to put it that way is that he does know how to run government because he's done it and he is ready to go for the the environment that we have right now, with the, all the crises that are underway, along with the usual problems that we have at the state level, uh, he would consider himself probably as the candidate who has the most experience and the most understanding of how government works, both legislatively and otherwise. Anything you want to add to that, Dixie? One thing that's
1: notable about Mike Cooney is um, he has been a long-standing advocate for. LGBTQ rights in Montana. One of the things like that he said about that is, no Montanans should fear discrimination or be fired because of who they are or whom they love. He's also a strong proponent for public lands,
0: let me just interject that along with public lands, he's one of the few, even among the Democrats, who has been a champion of, of climate change and of how to deal with mitigating the impacts of climate change. And he, he has taken his position on the land board to express that.
1: Right. Uh, we did an interview with Mike. It was episode 16, and where he talked about his thoughts on Montana's outdoor legacy. And uh, let's listen to that.
3: Uh, Public lands is always a big issue for Montanans. I mean, again, it is who, at at the core, who we are as Montanans. People choose to stay in Montana and live in Montana because of what we have um, with with our outdoor heritage. You know, great hunting, great fishing, great views, great uh, water, clean air. Uh, in just wildlife. I mean, we take it for granted, but, but it's who we are. It's also quite an economic tool and an economic driver as well, because our outdoor uh, uh, outdoor recreation uh, economy is growing big in Montana. And it's, I mean, we're attracting manufacturers for out- or outdoor gear and, and equipment. We are, um, you know, a lot of the high-tech firms in, in, that are coming to Montana. I mean, just in your neighborhood of of Bozeman, uh, you talk to those folks there. One of the reasons they're choosing to come here is because they find it very easy to recruit people, because people love the quality of life that they can be offered here. They move to Bozeman, they move to Livingston. They know they have some of the greatest trails that they can be on at five o'clock when they're done at work, or on the weekend they can be camping, whatever it is. So. Our outdoor heritage, our outdoor uh, recreation is is a big deal. We need to protect that. And we know there are people in the legislature and there are people who are outside the state who look at our outdoors and our public lands and say that's not the way it should be. You know, those lands would be far right. better off in private hands. And, you know, let's put taxes on them and let's, you know, but those are locked gates. That's less hunting. That's less fishing. It's less access. You know, we have got to be vigilant and we need to protect what right. we have. And well, so there,
1: there's, there's some people like that that have seats on the land board right now. Yeah,
3: well, so, I would think so. I, I agree. <laughs> but but then, you know, but then you ask about the other parts of the the environment. We can talk about climate. I mean, you know, I believe You know, if you were to ask me, you know, do we have an issue with climate change? Science would tell you, yes, we do have an issue and that human beings do affect that. I mean, the science is there. And I know there are people out there who don't want to believe that. But we have to be vigilant about that. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest challenges I think we have ahead of us. And what I mean by that is our young people are going to be saddled with the things that we can't fix. And that's not a good legacy. And we need to start working on it now.
1: So I think that that really gives you an idea of how Mike Cooney feels about being a Montanan and preserving all of the qualities of Montana's outdoors that we all cherish.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's quite clear that his general background is conservation and land pres- preservation. He believes in climate change mitigation. Uh, he's very active in the land board. He would be very active on the land board in these issues. Um, pretty clear profile okay so let's uh i think we're, we're not going to dwell on it but of course each of these candidates for governor have a running mate for lieutenant governor in cooney's case his name is casey schreiner and he's currently a state house representative and the democratic minority leader and i think it's important to point out that as a <laughs> a legislator he has been outstanding Uh The 2019 uh, Montana legislation was noted for the number of things that were done, bills that were passed, and a considerable amount of bipartisan work done by uh, representatives and senators on both sides. And Casey Schreiner had a lot to do with that in the House.
1: Right. And Casey also, we did an interview with him while he was running for the governor. And, uh, And it's episode 11. And he made had some interesting statements about public lands too. Uh, so let's listen to just a little bit about what Casey's thoughts were about public lands and the importance of this election, which I thought were pretty pretty amazing.
4: Um, the only other thing is the land board. I, I think it's pivotal. I think the other reason why I'm running for this is we got to have an everyday regular Montanan Absolutely. sitting in the governor's seat who understands yeah. the value of those public lands. I will tell you we're lucky enough. I'm lucky enough to have a state park in my legislative district. We have a Giant Springs State Park. That's a little more urban of a state park. You know, it's it's more of like a city park yeah. with the river and stuff. But my family takes advantage of that almost every single Sunday. We walk down to our local coffee shop and we get coffees and we hop and walk back. I live like two blocks away from a coffee shop. Walk back, hop in the van and take the stroller. Down and we just hang out in giant Springs. So, um, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing. I, I, I think that that is our outdoor heritage is something we can't, can't give up. And the concept that some of that stuff would go away or be sold to the highest bidder, um, without the people of Montana being able to recoup or be able to continue to experience that stuff is it would be devastating to our state. You know, I want Aiden, Liam and Finn to be able to have the same experiences that I have. I'm excited. You know, I, uh, I have not, the opportunity well i've had the opportunity that's not the right way to put it um my dad was my hunting buddy and my fishing buddy when i was younger and when my dad got sick that kind of is when we stopped going um and i'm excited for my kids to be older to where we can take in those experiences together that i got to have with my dad uh and so the idea that that stuff could go away and frankly i this is not hyperbole but we are one election away from that happening if the wrong person gets elected governor this cycle All the work that was done on Medicaid expansion or protecting healthcare for one in 10 Montanans and keeping critical access hospitals goes away. All the work that was done for firefighter health and safety will go away. The work that's been done to make sure that women's reproductive rights are protected and access to their uh, healthcare providers is upheld, is a right? Goes away. Um, this is a pivotal election for the state of Montana. This race specifically, uh, there's a lot of big stuff going on, but this race is a game changer. If you end up with a one party, and, and I think we're going to work like heck. You know, as the as the current Democratic leader in the legislature, I still have a responsibility to making sure that more Democrats fill that chamber as well. It's part of the the role you take on when you become the leader. Um, but. Taking over one of those houses is ch- it's not impossible, but it's challenging. So if you end up, if we're, if it's not able to happen, and you end up with a one-party government, um, it'll be very hard for us to recover as a state from that. And I think you will see economic impacts that happen. You're going to see people personally have huge impacts, especially folks that you know have special needs, um, folks that are on any sort of social service uh, uh, opportunity. Um, this is this is a serious, and that's why I ran. Because there's so much on the line, and mm-hmm. frankly, I, I can't figure out another person that's going to be a better advocate and, frankly, fighter for these topics and these people than somebody who's living it every day. And that's, like I said, for better or worse, our family is living this every single day.
1: Well, that's quite an impressive person, and don't you think, Nelson? Yes,
0: yeah, he is. And uh, I think we want to point out that he's a very energetic relatively young man, born in 1982. And uh, I I think that the reason Cooney selected him is because he would really be Cooney's right-hand man in the legislature. He knows the legislature. He has the ability to convince people to do things. He's very effective in in, uh, persuasion. And I think that having – that's a good team. I mean, you can really profile that as being a very good team. Because Cooney has the experience and Schreiner has the energy and the connections, working connections, living connections, you might say, with the legislature.
1: Exactly. And, you know, one thing I thought was really interesting uh, with Casey mentioned this and several of the other candidates that we interviewed mentioned this. They have always been in the minority in their legislative experience. So they know how to work with the other side. And testament to that is the fact that they were able to pass such important legislation, you know, like Medicaid expansion and the uh, firefighters health and safety bill, which they've been fighting to pass in the legislature for about a decade. And they finally got that done.
0: Yeah, I think the, we won't go into detail here, but the, the legislative record in 2019 was exceptional. And a lot of bipartisan work was done which is quite unusual uh it, it took i would say would fair fair to say that it took people of exceptional legislative ability to pull it off and case right. basically the head of that so when you're when you vote for the team you are getting experience and uh, dynamicism if you want to put it that way um uh, i would say it's a really good good combination under the circumstances we're working with here in montana
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, with Cooney and Schreiner, you have, you know, a a combined total of, what, 50 years at least of, of legislative experience working with the government, knowing how to use the tools of government to get things done. And they'll be able to jump in on day one.
0: Yeah, and they can work bipartisanship. They can work the issues and they can work the legislative process, which is difficult and complicated. And and I guess what we're saying is that while the traditional Republican position has been that government is a problem and is not involved, and that people who are politicians and who know how to use the government are a problem and shouldn't be involved, we're saying the opposite, particularly in this environment, where a lot of very complicated and difficult things are going to have to be decided upon, and legislated on by the, the Montana government. And these two guys are good at it and they are politicians and they are legislators and they know what they're doing in this particular area. And that's, a, I think, a fair thumbnail for both of them. Right. So uh, moving to the other side of the aisle, so to speak, uh, on the Republican side is Greg Gianforte, who is pretty well known to Montanans, I believe. And his lieutenant governor, Kristen Juras. And uh, Dixie, why don't you give us a bit of the the profile on them?
1: Okay. Um, Greg Gianforte currently is um, our Montana's sole representative in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, He was born in California, raised in Pennsylvania, and then uh, went to Stevens Institute of Technology in New Jersey, and has a B in electrical engineering. Um, He moved to Montana in 1995. He lives in Bozeman and started uh, right now Technologies which is a uh, customer relationship management software service um, which he later sold to Oracle for 1.5 billion dollars. His political background he ran for governor in 2016 and lost to Steve Bullock and then in 2017 he ran in the special election to uh, fill Montana's house seat when Zinke joined the Trump administration as Department of Interior which he later had to resign in disgrace but um, I digress Anyway, he uh, in 2017, he ran in the special election for Montana's House seat and defeated the Democrat who was uh, Rob Quist. And one, one thing that uh, was notable about that election is the night before the election, Gianforte attacked a Guardian reporter at a campaign event and um, was later convicted of misdemeanor assault, and he received a fine and a sentence of 40 hours of community service and had to attend 20 hours of anger management. That, was, that became an international incident. Then in 2018, he uh, ran for re-election against Kathleen Williams and won. The top issue that he lists on his campaign website is Standing with Trump.
0: Yeah, I think of all the candidates we're going to review here, uh, he is probably the most closely identified with Trump.
1: Right, right. And, you know, it's very interesting that uh, lately all of these issues that have come up with Trump and neither Gianforte nor Steve Daines have said anything about whether they agree with Trump on Um, bounties on U.S. soldiers, Um, you know, federal agents uh, throwing tear gas at peaceful demonstrators. It's, you know, haven't heard a word about any of that. So you have to assume that he stands with Trump on all those decisions. Uh, Trump's response to COVID-19, neither he nor Danes have... um, said that they object to anything that Trump has done. In fact, I believe that um, they both have made public statements that they think he's doing a great job. So um, standing with Trump, uh, of course then there's more opportunity and good paying jobs for Montanans. And, and here I just have to say, there's no policies to back these platitudes. And that's also a huge difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. You know, they all say they're for public lands, but when you look at the Democrats, there's actually policies that they will, that they write up ahead of time to show you this is what they're going to do in order to preserve public lands. And on the Republican side, and and we've done an awful lot of research folks here, and there are no policy proposals So we just have to sort of guess what that actually means. Um, He also says uh, he supports education. Although we know that he has, um, he actually signed on to the um, Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue um, to make it legal for Montanans to get a tax break to contribute to uh, private schools uh, private Christian schools so it's kind of questionable as far as um, does he support public education or private education Um, he believes in securing our borders and again Um, I don't think there's an issue here in Montana, but that's part of his platform. Um, no tax increases. That's sort of a standard, uh, defending our second amendment rights. Here I have to say that no candidate, not one, no Republican and no Democrat is planning on taking away your second amendment rights protecting public access to our public land, which is really interesting because uh, another thing that um, Gianforte is well known for is uh, when he filed a lawsuit against Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks regarding an easement for public access to the East Gallatin River that was adjacent to his property. Another really interesting thing I find about Greg Gianforte is he is a young earth creationist, which means he believes that the earth is from 4,000 to 6,000 years old. And that's fine. Everyone has a right to their own religious beliefs. I think, you know, I totally support that. He can believe whatever he wants. But when someone with that extreme of a belief wants to impose that belief into the way they would govern a citizenship, then I think I, I have a problem with that.
0: Yeah, Dixie, I'm going to maybe jump into the the religious issue back here. Um, this is a touchy area for people who generally often don't even get mentioned in political discussions. Uh, but we think it's important in this, this case because not only does 40 have, I would say, radical um, religious beliefs, which is fine. He has his own beliefs. That's good. But he also carries an agenda. And that agenda is also shared by a couple of other, at least a couple of other candidates on the Republican ticket. And I think it needs to be understood that when they represent themselves in any circumstance that has to do with education or religion or law that involves either of those two things, they have an agenda, which is basically fundamentalist Christian beliefs. Fine. Except that in mo- for the most part, these are not explicit agendas. And they should be. Because people need to know if they either approve or they don't approve of of believing that or of doing things along that line. But unless you make it explicit, people don't understand that that's part of your thinking. And I think it's important to understand that in the background of Greg Gianforte are his religious beliefs. And they do affect how he thinks about policy.
1: Exactly. And how, yeah, and how he would um, try to bend policy in the state, you know, in particular with public education um, trying to take those funds and putting them more into uh, private schools, uh, women's health issues. Um, there's another area that, you know, I would certainly have a lot of concern about.
0: And we don't want to over, overemphasize this, but it is there, and it frequently gets underemphasized by the general media, just because of the sensitivity of religious issues. I understand that. But from a voter's point of view, I think people need to understand that this this is an issue. It is there. It is a practical, practicing, policy-related issue. And Greg Gianforte is not the only Republican candidate who needs to be considered in that light.
1: Right, right. But he does have an extremist view as a young earth creationist. Hard to imagine that someone who believes that there were dinosaurs on Noah's Ark would have the critical thinking to make decisions about fossil fuel resources. And, you know, I just, I don't know how you reconcile all that, but I think it's, it's just enough to say that there is definitely an agenda there and it's not based on facts.
0: No, in fact, it's quite the opposite, usually. It always comes up with people that don't believe in climate change and don't believe in the coronavirus, for that matter, uh, who, who don't believe in science, how they can deal with issues that involve science.
1: Right, which might be part of the problem that we're in right now. People who pay a lot more attention to their personal agenda or their personal beliefs or their religious beliefs or their political future than just facts and science
0: yeah one way of looking at this is every politician who runs for a higher office be it governor or senator or whatever is going to be carrying baggage right and most people look at that and say well okay that's all right i don't care you know i mean you look at mike cooney and he has a political baggage he's been around for a long time and he said a lot of different things and had a lot of different positions and some people will look at that as good and some people will say that's bad GN40 comes to the job with a couple of different packs of baggage, and one of them is this religious religious baggage, the other right. being his, I would say, extreme conservatism um, in terms of, you know, the government can do no right. He is a candidate who is all for getting rid of government, if you want to put it that way.
1: Absolutely. Getting rid of regulations and, um, you know, also just resource development, complete, wide open, without restrictions. Um, The war on coal endangers jobs is one of the things that he likes to say. Um, uh, The climate is always changing. That was his response basically to climate change. As a member of the U.S. House, as our representative, uh, Gianforte has a record of not even showing up to vote that often. You can't do that if you're the governor in the state
0: particularly under the circumstances we're in right now.
1: Exactly. I mean, again, we're going to need someone who is willing to go in on day one and start solving some of these critical problems that we have. I mean, this isn't a normal situation that they're going to be walking into. There's extraordinary circumstances. And I think what we really, what's really required at this point are people that have the experience to jump in and start taking these problems on. and uh,
0: Yeah, and um, they have to come at it from an angle that they do actually understand that government has a role in solving these problems. Exactly. And in fact, very often a pivotal role. And therefore, the instruments of government have to be used and not just sort of, oh, well, I could do that or I could do this. No, it has to be, we do this, we do this, because I know how government works and I wanted to right. do things here.
1: Right, right. And uh, by having a position on the land board, um, the government, or the excuse me, the governor is a critical voice on the land board. Um, Gianforte says that he would fight to protect our public lands and public access. Um, although, while he's been in Congress, he did manage to show up to vote against Uh, Wilderness Study Area designations. He also would not vote to extend the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, So his record really doesn't show that he does support public lands.
0: Yeah, I would say at best it's a mixed record. Uh, There's no question about it. GN40 is a a hunter and a fisherman, and he likes the out-of-doors, and he has supported conservation in some regards He was uh, consigned on to the uh, Yellowstone Gateway Bill. Um, But in general, he, like most Republicans uh, coming from that side, uh, believe in development of land, public land, believe in development of natural resources above preservation of those resources. Well, I would,
1: yeah, yeah. But, you know, one thing I would say about the Yellowstone Gateway Bill is you could not, be an office holder in Montana and not support the Yellowstone gateway bill. So that was an easy one for him.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's characteristic characteristic that he would, when it's easy, he will be in favor of conservation, but when it has to do with money and development, he will not be in favor of conservation.
1: Well, he's his, his record is at the very least it's inconsistent. On conservation. Um, and then there's his lieutenant governor uh, candidate who is uh, Kristen Juris. Uh, Kristen is, uh, she comes from Conrad, was raised on a ranch near Conrad, um, went to the U- University of Montana, and has a JD from the University of Georgia. And she's been in private practice in Great Falls. For 18 years, she taught law at the University of Montana from 2000 to 2016, um, and she, in her political background, she ran for the Montana Supreme Court in 2016 and lost to uh, Dirk Sandifer. And while she was running, she caught the attention of the ACLU of Montana as well as other civil rights groups and um, and some of her colleagues even when she wrote an email that got leaked where she said i think there are going to be a lot of cases affecting religious freedom that arise over the next several years and i'd like to be part of the decision-making body that will be addressing those issues what i covet is prayer which is quite an alarming statement for someone to make who wants to be a member of the Montana Supreme Court.
0: Yeah, I think she can be characterized as another Trump-supporting Republican who also has a religious agenda.
1: She absolutely does have a religious agenda, and she also of course, says she supports public lands, but she is on record as saying that expanding Montana's stream access laws are an erosion to private land ownership.
0: Okay, so in a a nutshell, I think that Kristen Juris essentially comes at things from a legal point of view, uh, has no legislative experience or very little. Uh, and as generally would would follow in, I suppose you could put it this way, she would follow in Gianforte's shoes when it comes to policy and legislation and various uh, points of view on the you know philosophical scale. And she also supports his his. I'll put it this way: religious uh, agenda.
1: Exactly, I think it's both. She supports his religious agenda as well as she supports his. Um, a desire to develop public lands and resources in Montana as opposed to conservation.
0: So putting the two, you know, they're running as a a team, and I think that's an appropriate way to look at, you know, the governor-lieutenant-governor relationship. Uh, I think in this case you have a clear example where the governor is intended to basically run the entire show, and the lieutenant governor's position is to reinforce him. Uh, would that be correct? I think that's correct. I think. That, that well, I, you know,
1: but I think I think what we have in the situation with Mike Cooney and and Steve Bullock has been really um, unusual and has actually benefited Montana because Mike Cooney is very active as Lieutenant Governor. Um, Governor has given him certain responsibilities, and Mike's taken it on. And um, you know, the one thing that everyone says about Mike Cooney is. He knows who to talk to and how to get things done, how to put the right group of people together. And I think that he's been de- depended on by governor Bullock to do that while he's been Lieutenant governor.
0: And to contrast that Reggie Gianforte does not have that kind of background. He does not know the Montana uh, from the legislative point of view has no experience of it. Um, nor does his lieutenant governor candidate.
1: Right, right. Plus the fact that since Gianforte has held the, the House seat since 2017, Gianforte has failed to actually even meet with the public in Montana. He's never held a town hall.
0: Yeah, I think that is, without putting too fine a point onto it, it is an example of how... Gianforte does not have close connections with Montanans. Right. He made his money and his life elsewhere. He came here. He liked Montana. He bought property here and has decided to involve himself in politics. But he has not, never been an actual Montana politician in the sense of running for the rep, you know, legislature or something like that. Uh, there's some suspicion that he's and I don't mean this truly but i mean that he's not a real montanan he can't say he's a fifth generation montanan kind of thing
1: well no he can't say that but i well i think one thing is that people feel that he's that he's sort of disconnected from the everyman yeah. in montana um, which is just the absolute opposite of mike cooney i mean you you meet mike cooney he you you know mike cooney he reminds you of Lots of people that you've known in your life, and he certainly knows about montana
0: yeah i I think personally, and I have met him you know, and is that when you when you shake his hand here you know this is a man who has pressed the flesh all his life, but he actually enjoys it, he knows how to meet people, he likes meeting people you know. right he's is, yeah is, exactly
1: yeah. So I think it's, you know, there's quite a contrast there, but I think um, once, you know, people really look into the contrast and the difference between these two candidates, I think it's pretty easy to see that, um, you know, Mike Cooney would definitely be, and especially teamed up with Casey Schreiner. I think yeah, exactly. I, I think it's a team here. Yeah, and the... jump in and just start taking care of, taking care of business.
0: So with that background, I mean, the, the, the governor's position is obviously important and it's a complicated position and they have a lot of roles to play. Um, we think that the combinations that they have, the lieutenant governor and governor combination is very important, particularly now. Um, and that the choices in this case are pretty clear. You should know what you're getting on both sides. And from a voter's perspective, I don't think there's going to be a lot of, you know, you, you should know your preferences and find them rather easy to fill here whichever way it goes. Well, Dixie, I think that wraps up our second episode about candidates for state office. Uh, I hope that this has been useful for people. We we really do want to stress that we think that knowing what the offices are, and then today we looked at the Attorney General's office and, of course, the governor, uh, knowing what the offices are and who the candidates are, in, at least in a thumbnail way, understanding what they represent and what kind of people they are, uh, will help inform people's decisions when they vote. I think that we, when we look at these candidates, and this has been a pattern we've seen in both episodes and looking at all the state offices, that on the whole, the Republican candidates are, and I'll use the word, scary. Because they, almost every one of them represents an extremist point of view and has come to this, come to their offices, running for these offices from a point of view that is not, not only not mainstream, but against that of running a government in a time of crisis. I mean, they are the worst possible positions to hold in a a world dominated by the coronavirus crisis and an economic crisis, and all the other crises that we have going right now. And so on that basis, we would like to make our uh, endorsements of the candidates uh, for the Attorney General's Office, Rafe Graybill. And for the Governor's Office and Lieutenant Governor, Mike Cooney and Casey Schreiner. Anything you want to add to that, Dixie?
1: Well, I would just like to say that, you know, in in um, talking about their legislative experience, their ideas, their intelligence, their inclusion of science and facts, in the way they govern. I absolutely think that Montana would do very well to elect, um, Rafe Grable and Mike Cooney and Casey
0: Schreiner. Yeah, these are, I, I, get my opinion and maybe the opinion of all of us of having looked at their backgrounds and talked to them. These are some of the most able candidates that I've seen in many years. And, uh, they are both accomplished and experienced and have ideas. Their ideas are to help people and make government work for everybody.
1: Right. And, you know, and, and they're not, um, you know, terrifying, scary liberals that, you know, the Republicans are trying to make every Democrat look like right now. These are people that have pragmatic solutions to problems. A not. long history of, of
0: bipartisan work, working with the exactly. Republicans. Yeah, yeah. So, in order to wrap up here, uh, this was episode two, and I want to remind everybody that we have a third episode coming, uh, in which we will discuss the Public Service Commission for District Three, which is representative and happens to be the district we're in, and for the U.S. House. Another one of those uh, campaigns that I think is getting a lot of attention. Uh, anything you want to add dixie Um,
1: wear a mask
0: yeah and wash (laughs) your hands thank you very much for listening this has been a podcast runs through it i'm nelson king that was dixie heart and hope you'll catch us for the next episode